Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Could the application you're about to use be a fake? And could its true purpose be to launch a phishing attack? Criminal groups are turning to new and dangerous methods to get past our defences. Among the fastest growing of these are fake apps, fake websites and blogs, and even fake search results. As security teams have improved their ability to detect and block conventional phishing over email, so the attackers have adapted too. One method is creating fake third-party web apps. According to one study, the average user now has 16 different plugins, and one organization was found to be using more than 12,000. The most recent Threat Labs report from security firm Netscope tracks these fake apps and a number of other novel attack vectors. We asked Ray Kanzanese, Netscope's director of Threat Labs, to set out the scale of the problem. You know, you and I, and probably everybody who listens to your podcast, right, is used to receiving phishing emails, right? Some of us maybe have even received like a phishing text message or a phishing phone call. And so I, I think the most unexpected finding that's in this report that we just published is the different approaches attackers are taking to delivering the phishing content. And particularly the, the one I found most unexpected was the search engine um, that attackers are using this technique uh, that, that's called weaponizing data voids. This idea that you can create a page and you can design the page to show up in a search result when somebody searches for something unusual. Uh, and, and basically you build that page and it's a phishing page so that if somebody types the wrong words into Google, they end up at a phishing page. And so what I think was really unexpected was just um, how frequently we're seeing that happen now. It's been uh, pretty much steadily on the rise for the past year or two that we've been watching it and just really continues to grow. And, you know, we, we found this by looking at all of the, the phishing that we're detecting on our platform, right? So we're looking at, um, you know, millions of users worldwide. Um, we're looking at the phishing pages they're visiting and we're looking at how they ended up at those phishing pages. Is this quite extensive? Are we seeing a lot of these type of vectors? So we are seeing this um, appear to be automated and um, templatized at this level, um, which means that we see uh, an awful lot of phishing um, you know, pages designed around a really wide variety of search terms. So it's not, um, it, you know, it's very much not somebody who's sitting around trying to come up with these unusual search terms, right? It's very much somebody who has an automated system that does the creation of the pages that links the pages to each other, um, trying to find basically any uh, void that's out there and get these pages listed on the major search engines. So actually quite sophisticated and requires a reasonably extensive knowledge of how these things work in order to automate that facility, that tack. Yeah, absolutely. It's clear that they identified something that worked and then figured out a way to automate it and, and try to get as much breadth of exposure as possible. So what are the other novel or unexpected phishing methods that you're seeing? Because there's a number of them in your latest research. So, so 
there's a, like two different type levels, right? I would think about fishing, right? So um, fishing is just one big metaphor, right? It's it's about like actually fishing for for real life fish out in the ocean, which means there's the there's the baits, right? There's the things you lure people in with, and that's what we just talked about, right? Where one of the lures that we're seeing now are these uh, search engine results for unusual search terms. Then there's the other uh, side, right? And there's the hook. The hook is the the actual actual uh, phishing page, right? The place where you ask the, the victim to type in their username and password so that you can steal it. And so the other sort of uh, unexpected, surprising thing that we're seeing increasingly more of is a new type of hook. And so instead of creating a page to get people to put in their usernames and passwords. Um, we see attackers creating these fake apps and these fake apps are created um, uh, basically to, to bypass MFA uh, and to uh, convince people to give you just direct access to their cloud apps. So how are you uncovering these without giving too much away perhaps? Uh, sure. So again, right. So we we sell a uh, secure web gateway, and um, when in that secure web gateway, we see people visiting phishing pages, right? So we can see how they end up at these phishing pages. Um, we also do API uh, connections to cloud apps, and so with that API introspection, that API CASB that we sell, uh, we see what people are authorizing to access their data in those cloud apps. And so what we are seeing more and more of are um, fake apps, uh, things that are created by attackers getting authorized to access, especially people's email and documents that they're storing in their cloud apps. So that's another strand, isn't it? So people are creating fake apps and these are standalone applications or are they more like bots? Yeah, so maybe maybe I can share an example of uh, something that actually just happened to me yesterday, right? So I'm I'm trying to embed a Google spreadsheet in a Confluence page, right? And so I'm I'm in Confluence and I click you know embed spreadsheet and I get this pop up and it says Google Drive for Confluence and Jira wants to access your Google account and you scroll down and it says that specifically it wants to see and download all of my Google Drive files right so I get this pop-up and I click allow uh, because of course I need uh, Confluence to access my uh, Google uh, files in order to show that spreadsheet and so that's what I'm talking about so it's this it's these ecosystems and you you and your readers or, or listeners rather have probably encountered this, um, especially using Microsoft 365 or Google Workspaces, where you're asked to authorize something else, access to your files or your email or some other resources that you've stored in uh, you know, Google Drive or Microsoft 365. And so attackers have caught on, right? They know that I'm presented with dialogues like that all the time. They know that I typically click yes when presented with a dialogue like that. And so what they are doing is they're creating uh, fake apps with names that sound like they're legitimate and um, typically asking for access to email and access to documents and um, basically, you know, sending these out there and trying to convince people to click uh, accept on that uh, that authorization attempt. So again, that's just exploiting a normal behavior that we would expect from a legitimate application. 
Absolutely. Right. Because all all fishing is right is is trying to mimic something that you would normally do right to trick you into giving away your credentials. How do we then defend against that, given that once again, the exploit against the individual is normal behavior. So it's similar to what we've seen with email based phishing. You know, you're expecting a PDF, you're expecting an invoice, uh, you're expecting a link to something and they exploit that with social engineering to persuade you or convince you that that's an okay thing to do. And that, that we know well established, we've been seeing this for years. Does it differ in this application space? Or, or is it essentially the same type of method? And how would we persuade people not to click or not to authorize click OK? Right. Yeah, so that's a good question. So that persuasion, that you know, work that the attacker has to do uh, to, to actually get somebody to the point where they're clicking authorize, that's still happening. So a lot of the um, cloud, you know, fake cloud app phishing that we see, it still might start with a phishing email, right? Um, but instead of the phishing email, including a PDF or uh, clicking on a link that brings you to a website that asks for your credentials, it's bringing you to a page um, where it's asking you to authorize this app access to typically your Google Workspaces or Microsoft 365 account. And so all that social engineering aspect of it is all still there. And so the the main thing that's different right with these cloud app phishing is that it's there's no phishing page right uh, so all that training that that you and i have gone through and and your listeners have gone through where you're told you know if, if you're at a page that's asking for you to enter in your credential make sure you look at the domain right um if the domain's a, a weird domain right don't enter your credentials there or if it's not using https or if you see the certificate uh comes from something other than the page that you're expecting right all of those telltale signs of a fake login page those don't apply to these fake cloud apps and so um, you have to take you know a, a different approach to looking at these fake cloud apps and the thing that i think is most important as the consumer as the person who's getting the pop-up is to look at what's being asked and think about the context of how you got there in my example I was trying to add a Google document to a Confluence page. So when I got the pop-up that said, would you like Confluence to access your Google documents? Um, the, the answer was, was obviously yes, right? That's what I'm trying to do here. But if it had said that it also needs access to my email, um, that would be a red flag, right? It's asking for something that doesn't make sense in the context of what's going on. Um, so that's, that's an important thing to consider, right? Look at what's being asked and, and think about how you ended up there, right? I ended up there by my own volition. I was trying to do something, right? It wasn't clicking on a link in an email. And I knew exactly what permissions were needed, and, and I allowed those. So the, those are the things that, as the consumer, you need to think about and approach differently. That does require quite a granular approach to user training and education. So we can come back to that in a moment. But before we look at that and the preventative measures, what about other fake vectors? So your researchers uncovered other ways of essentially using fake apps or other non-conventional ways to breach the organization. Yeah, so there's, I'd say that in that report, 
there were only really two types of fake vector that we talked about. So you, you and I, I think, have just talked uh, quite a bit about the fake apps. And that's really it, right? It was all about um, typically third-party apps designed to work in the Microsoft and Google ecosystems. That other fake vector was fake login pages, right? And so um, there actually are some interesting things happening even with fake login pages, right? Fake login pages used to be somebody would create a, a login page, right? Designed to look like the real one and steal credentials. And we had phishing toolkits that made that easier for anybody to do. And what we're seeing a lot of now as well um, are, are what I call transparent phishing pages. And so these are still fake login pages uh, in the sense that you're not going to the real URL that you're supposed to log into. But the technique is a, a little bit more sophisticated. The attacker actually uses a proxy. And so you're going through a reverse proxy to the actual phishing page and the attacker is just watching everything you do. So you enter your username and password, the attacker sees that. Um, most importantly, though, here is that when the, the page authorizes you, right, and it gives you a cookie that allows you access um, or a, some other token that allows you access to that service, the attacker is going to see that as well. And so those transparent phishing pages, um, you know, while they are fake login pages, um, they are a technique that is uh, gaining popularity as MFA becomes more commonplace because stealing those tokens uh, typically allows that attacker to bypass uh, the fact that you've enabled MFA on that account. So again, this is the attackers adapting to the security measures that have been put in place. And, you know, the rise in MFA is pushing them to be more innovative, if, for want of a better word. Yeah, absolutely. And the fake cloud apps are another MFA bypass innovation, right? Because because you are asking the user to authorize the third party, you don't have to, again, steal usernames and passwords. Um, as soon as that user clicks authorize, the attacker is just given a token that allows them to access your account. Uh, no, no MFA step up, no username and password required. But at the same time, we're not seeing the disappearance of the conventional email-based threats at all. So again, looking at your research, there's some data within that about how many people actually still click on those email links. And it's quite a high number, isn't it? So maybe just run us through what you've found and see if we can draw some conclusions or some thoughts as to why people are still falling victim. Sure. So in, in that report that we published, we, we showed that eight out of a thousand users in Q3 of this year clicked on a phishing link, um, which, you know, if you're thinking about it in percentages, you say, well, that's less than 1%, right? That, that actually maybe seems pretty good, right? But this is, uh, for one, right, if you think about a large company with, a, you know, 100,000 users in it, they'd have 800 people a quarter clicking on phishing links, right? That's an awful lot of people to be clicking on phishing links. And then the other important piece of context here is this is enterprise users in environments where you have email filters, you have training, you have all of these technologies there to help prevent uh, users from ever clicking on phishing links, right? And still, in spite of all the training, in spite of all the technology, you still have eight out of a thousand uh, every quarter clicking on these links. That's that's still a, a lot of people falling prey to these baits. And they wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't worth their while. 
Exactly, right. There, there's a reason we see fishing continue to increase, right? Because um, it, it continues to be successful. Looking then at how we prevent or deter, are there any steps that can be taken firstly to deal with the, the ongoing problem of the email attacks uh, beyond what we've already done? And is there anything novel that could be tried? And then if, looking at these emerging attacks, the fake applications and the web logins and so forth, how would you adapt your security awareness plan to accommodate those? Yeah. So one thing I want to say before we get into maybe the the more um, uh, you know novel and new things people should be doing is while I have mentioned these attacks that are designed to work around MFA, I still strongly believe everybody needs to be enabling MFA everywhere they possibly can um, because enabling MFA means that the traditional credential stealing fake login page attack attacks, which still account for the majority uh, of what we see, are thwarted, right? So it's still important to do that because you're at least making it harder for the attackers that they have to use some of these uh, newer and, and more novel methods to uh, try to fish those credentials. When it comes to what we could do differently, right? Um, one thing that we should do differently is um, in, in our training, right? Think more broadly about phishing. Uh, one of the things that our report shows is that um, you know it's not just email being used as the lure. Uh, you know, we see the search engine results being uh, used as successful lures. We see uh, these uh, social media posts, uh, DMs. We see fake uh, websites that were set up specifically just to redirect people to phishing pages um, being used to, to lure people onto these phishing pages. And so um, we need to um, train people right to keep their guards up, uh, even in those areas areas where traditionally they may have thought, oh, there's no way I'd possibly f see phishing here, right? Um, if, if there were phishing in, in search engine results or uh, in social media or on these websites, then certainly I would have heard about it, right? It would have been in that training that I've seen. So we need to train people to keep their guards up, you know, no matter where they are. And when it comes to the the pages themselves, right, whether it's a fake phishing page, whether it's a fake cloud app, um, also train people to look out for those, right? I, I do think here that training is just a big piece of, uh, you know, reminding people that there's there's scammers that are always out there trying to take advantage of them, and they're they're always trying to come up with these new methods, and you know, it's it's our responsibility as as people in the cybersecurity uh, community to to teach others and and. and and, uh, you know, help them protect themselves. And again, you found some quite interesting examples there in terms of what people are using via search. So how to use features in software uh, was one. Quiz answers for online courses was another. Uh, and even user manuals for various products. And that does suggest quite a level of investment on behalf of the people behind the phishing attacks to actually procure that content and get it onto search in the first place. 
Well, it's actually quite um, uh, inexpensive, right? Because a lot of that content that they are hosting for those um, phishing lures are being hosted on free um, web hosting services, right? They're, it's being hosted on um, uh, Blogspot and, and Weebly and all of these free website hosting services. So it's not a big expense. Um, they're not spending a lot on infrastructure to do that, right? Um, really the only investment I would say they really had to make um, was the automation, right, for generating and, and, and posting that content. Um, but, but otherwise, not an awful lot of uh, infrastructure investment there. What about obtaining the content itself? Are they simply copying that from legitimate sites, for example? A lot of it is is very clearly um, uh, copy and paste. Uh, a lot of, for example, you said the user manuals. Um, you know, you go onto this fake site that they've created, and it's just clearly a copy paste in, of the entire text of that user manual. Um, so, uh, you know, even the content itself appears to be scraped and and generated automatically. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So again, that's something that CSOs need to build into their awareness training. Say, so look, you have to be a bit more circumspect about the searches that you're carrying out. And are there any telltale signs, though, that can help you spot these? Or are there any things that your technology and others' technology can do to block some of these fake sites? Yeah. So when it comes to, um, you know, telltale signs, um, the, this weaponizing of, of data voids to get into search engine results is tough. And you don't just see it used for phishing pages, right? In, in fact, that term was invented by some researchers that were um, researching uh, misinformation campaigns. And so what they were finding was that uh, people were doing this, right? Creating these pages uh, around conspiracy theories, around other sorts of misinformation, and uh, basically doing the same thing, creating the pages designed to show up for unusual search terms. And so one thing, and, and I, I, I do admit that this is kind of complex, right? But one thing to look out for when you search something is how many results are in your result set. If you search something that has, you know, millions or tens of millions of results, you can be more confident that the stuff you're seeing on page one of that result set um, is reliable, right? Because that's clearly terms that lots and lots of other people are searching. If you search something and you only find that there's uh, 10 results, right? Um, the, the number of results is very small. That becomes a reason to be suspicious about what you're about to click on. Uh, so it, it's a little nuance there, but that's, that's one sort of uh, easy way for anyone to try to suss out whether they've ended up at some sort of data void and they should be suspicious of the content they're about to click on. Yeah, that's a good flag to point out. What about the automation side, though? So, yeah, on the automation side, um, you know, whether you're using a secure web gateway, whether you have an EDR uh, solution in place, right? Um, uh, technology is really good at spotting um, these types of pages, right? Um, uh, you know, especially fake login pages. We have um, developed signatures for common phishing toolkits. We have, uh, you know, heuristics and machine learning that are all focused on being able to identify something that looks like a login page for a legitimate service, but 
isn't uh, being used in a legitimate way. So um, technological solutions to blocking these pages are absolutely um, valuable. And even on the side of fake apps, right, there's technology uh, that's that's been developed that can identify this is an app that isn't typically used um, and, and raise alerts when people authorize it. Uh, you as an admin can also go into your Google or your uh, Microsoft uh, console and lock things down, right? You can go in there and configure um, no users are allowed to authorize any third party apps or users are allowed to authorize third party apps, but it has to go through an uh, admin approval process for every new app that's authorized. So there's technology both that can prevent people from visiting phishing pages, regardless of where they came from. And there's technology available that'll help people um, reduce that risk service of people clicking on and authorizing fake apps as well. And that is important considering how many apps and plugins are out there. Overall, though, how severe would you rate this as a, as a threat? Is this something that CISOs really need to start looking at now in terms of its significance and the risk to the business? So th there's two things going on here that I think are significant, right? One is we talked about lures and we talked about how, you know, I'm seeing more and more other types of lures other than email showing up and what people are falling for and clicking on. So it, what's significant is that if you've put all of your anti-phishing investments into email security, then attackers have already found ways around that. And that's only going to continue to ramp up. So really significant, really important to make sure your approach to anti-phishing uh, goes well beyond email. Now, the other thing that's significant is these fake apps. And what's so significant about the fake apps is that whenever we see the fake apps used, uh, they're typically used in more targeted attacks. And we see lots of people, an alarming number of people falling for it um, because it doesn't look like any phishing they've seen before, right? Um, the, it, it's so new and so novel um, that, and they're so used to just clicking allow to those pop-ups that um, it's, it's just, it's happening too frequently that, that people fall for it. And so, it's significant because as we continue to see more of that, it's going to become more and more of a problem. So I'd like to encourage people to take a look at their anti-phishing strategy there and make sure you're staying ahead of that because it's a, a particularly dangerous and targeted type of phishing that we would like to never see end up on our top list of phishing approaches. So does it mean we almost have to go back to the start? I wouldn't say go back to the start um, because what we are all already doing is working right um the the that type of phishing that email-based phishing that website-based phishing that's still going to be there we can't stop doing that right um we need to pile on there needs to be more that we're doing in, in terms of anti-phishing to protect our users and our company doable though Absolutely doable. Yes. And we've seen uh, companies that have uh, embraced this, right, that, that have uh, taken their anti-phishing technologies um, well beyond email, that have locked down uh, and are closely monitoring what's happening in terms of third-party app authorizations. Um, n nothing here that we're talking about is impossible. But again, 
acting quickly would be an imperative there. Yeah, acting quickly, definitely imperative. Um, you know, it, it's been these fake apps have been a, a thing for only the past couple years, right? It, it's a relatively new type of attack. And so it's still rare. It's still under the radar um, for a lot of folks. Ray Kanzanese, director of Netscope's Threat Labs, on the risks posed by new phishing methods and how firms need to keep their anti-phishing methods under constant review. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll be looking at the key security events of 2022 and attempting to make some predictions for 2023. Until then, you can, of course, catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.